Welcome back to yet another jam-packed episode of Appleosophy Weekly. iOS 14.5 Beta 2 includes a number of new emojis, or as my grandfather would call them, mojos. There's new hints about AirTags, and iPhone 13 may actually be an iPhone 12S, complete with silky smooth scrolling. And glass AirPods might be in the pipeline? Get ready to unwrap the tech of today with me, your host, Bram Shank. But first, let's check in with our guest, Mr. Ralph Theodore, Design Director over at Vectornator, one of the most intuitive graphic design apps that empowers users to design anything they can imagine. Ralph, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Pretty good, man. It's great to have you on. Oh, really, really a pleasure to be here. Big fan of the podcast. Yeah. So you've been in the concept artist design sphere for quite some time. I followed your concepts back in the day. Uh-huh. Um, so what got you... Yeah, what got you interested in the UI design? When did that kind of start? Well, mm, it, it first started when um, I used to jailbreak my iPhone uh, back in the day. And I used to love all the tweaks and all the changes that all these independent developers used to do. And I remember how um, I wanted to do my own ones, but I didn't know how to, how to do them. But I said, okay, maybe I can design them. And um, yeah, back then iOS was quite missing a lot of functions compared to Android. And you could definitely see like there's a clear trajectory of where things were going with iOS. And yeah, I was designing some concepts and making some YouTube videos about it. And um, yeah. So I've been following your YouTubes pretty much since the very beginning. You know, so we're talking like, you know, 2008, 2009 days, the jailbreaking things getting really popular. People are finding ways to personalize their iPhone uh, jailbreaking it and adding these themes in, things like that. Yeah, long story short, you end up at Vectornator. It's a big deal. You're the design director over at Vectornator, and this is one of the most popular graphic design apps on the App Store. And it was one of the first apps to be available on the new M1 Max, Apple Silicon. So that And that's that's a huge achievement as well. What's behind some of your your philosophy? Tell us a little bit about your philosophy when you're a new product falls onto your lap, a new project. Uh, how do you how do you navigate something like that? What are some of the questions that you ask when when you're designing an interface? Is it what do you want people to feel? What do you want them to see? What do you want them to do? What are some of the questions that you ask yourself? Oh wow! I mean, thanks for the awesome question. Um, so when it comes to designing an interface, it's it's definitely you need to follow like a typical um, workflow of a designer. You set up a storyboard, you think about the, the initial problem, um, you go through um, a lot of different ideas uh, that could be the solution basically, and you could describe that in a design or you make a prototype for it. And um, to me, to me, I, I like to think in a way where uh, I like to really think forward to see like how, you know, I don't want to call it Apple thinking, but um they, de- they ha- definitely have a really great product vision. And uh, I really believe in applying a lot of uh, modern methods that they've been doing in their UI and taking it a bit step further. And uh, yeah. Well, we've seen that with your, your some of your concepts are very Apple-like. They seem very characteristic of Apple in that you, you stick to uh, a very consistent, very intuitive uh, sort of design language. And you're saying it's important to to always have this mindset of forward thinking. 
what is the end result? What is the user trying to do? So when it comes to innovation, like, or, or the user actually, so the user interface is built upon the user experience. It's built upon um, the user's enjoyment of that, of that feature. And I think system design is, is a big, big topic. Like um, it's completely different process from designing, for example, an app. Uh, because for an app, you have a target user, you know, you have a specific amount of users that you expect the app to use. So if it was a, if it was a photography app, you, you, you would sense people who are more uh, oriented into photography to download this app. So you des design an experience that is familiar with um, them, with the target audience, with system design, with, with iOS. It's something that is um, served and designed to work with billions of people. That's why you see uh, skeuomorphism being the, 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 in the introduction of iOS uh, that it tries to relate to natural objects. It tries to show like notes as a notepad and, and so on. Of course, uh, this is definitely a major topic, but um, coming back to the point. Yeah, it's quite divisive. Yeah, but, but system design, that's what it tries to achieve. It's trying to serve a design or a user experience for billions of people. Um, it's different cultures, di different ethnicities, locations, cultures, everything. So um, that's what's special about it. Yeah, all those elements culminate to define the end result, the design. Yeah. What comes to mind when you hear the word neomorphism? Ooh. Um, well, Vectornator does have a lot of that effect. Uh, it's been quite a while for like the last two years. Um, so I want to I talk about neomorphism in a way like, okay, Big Sur. Yeah, define it for the, for the viewers so they understand the sort of the transition from skeomorphism to the iOS 7 era of design All right. and, and where we're sort of at now with the Big Sur era of neomorphism. That's what it's been dubbed. Cool. Yeah, we can take it right back from where we were just discussing skeomorphism. So skeomorphism was yeah. trying to achieve um, something that is very familiar with the user. So people are holding their smartphones for the first times. They're holding a touchscreen, multi-touch. They need to interact with something they're very familiar with. And that's what they've been, that it achieves. It achieves um, a lot of things there. So like the camera feels more like a camera shutter and the phone app feels like a phone and, and, and so on and so forth. And um, yeah, when, when iOS 7 came in, it was a big cultural shock, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we both lived through that, that whole era. Yeah. And like you said, skeuomorphism was about relating real life objects to a digital interface, yeah, and all this technology was so new at the time. It helped us uh, sort of gain an understanding of how to navigate yeah. this entirely new form factor. I want to say that, yeah, like skeuomorphism really like contributed in bringing the people like making multi-touch and making um, touch like smartphones uh, much more mainstream than now. We, we I, I really, yeah, I think so. And yeah, when iOS seven came in. Uh, it was completely, I would say, cultural shock, facelift, and uh, it's it definitely ditched a lot of these elements, but it built upon the the like iOS journey. After all, it was just uh, things you you already know in a different view. Mm -hmm. That's the key. A lot of buttons that appeared to look like real life buttons, real life textures, real life surfaces were morphed into this this flat UI design. And the only way we would know what those buttons mean on this flat interface is if we had experienced the prior 
skeuomorphic design of things like iOS 5 and 6. Yeah, kind of, kind of. The, and earlier, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that you get used to in general, but it was more efficient in terms of a design. It was more refined. It was more mature. Um, you can see, like, neomorphism is kind of the evolution between both. And, yes, um, it's the convergence. It's a huge convergence between between both, but... I, I've been I've been thinking that yeah that's what iOS seven is built like is set to be in the future like um, if you go a few steps ahead it's basically you need to relate to the people with any kind of elements uh, that they they're relatable to and what they they're known to is three D objects like things are not flat in in normal life so um, design is not def definitely not going to stay flat for a while and uh, I definitely think skeuomorphism is, is going through it's going to reach somewhere so. So this convergence between skeuomorphism and the flat design that we saw with iOS 7 back in, in 2013 when that was ushered in, um, that's that's kind of been dubbed neomorphism. And a good example of this is the messages icon in Big Sur. Mm -hmm. And you sort of talked about the idea of objects in 3D space. So going from a flat drawing of a speech bubble on a flat green icon to now something that looks like it's floating on top of that icon you see yeah the green shadows projected onto the objects it's a much more uh playful kind of futuristic forward-thinking take on skeuomorphism yeah it is it is a very nice balance it really strikes a good balance between them yeah i agree and, and you know if apple is developing glasses uh anytime now uh, you would probably think that, yeah, they'd probably have some 3D UI elements going on. Well, we kind of saw that, you know, begin with when, when they redesigned the Apple TV a few years back mm -hmm. and, and these parallax effects. So when you were skimming over content, the movie posters would actually move. They were layered. Yeah. And that's when we kind of started to see the idea of, of visual hierarchy that's actually interactive, Yes, and that is the highlight of the interface, like the way they built the entire remote around that uh, factor and the, the, the way they built the entire UI to, to, to make use of that effect and that feeling. Uh, it was, it's really tactile. I really, I really love it. I think um, I have a lot of reserves about tvOS, <laughs> um, but yeah, it, I, I really I, love as it. As do many. <laughs> that, the remote gets a lot of flack and everybody has different opinions on that. What's, what's your opinion on the, the, the tvOS remote? Do you think... It's an innovative step in the right direction, or do you think it's this, you know, this cumbersome tool that you're forced to use? Oh, um, well, I, I definitely think the the TV remote could use some work for sure. Because uh, <laughs> how would you improve it, though? Well, there's a lot of ideas, but looking, I want to first refer that my judgment on the TV remote came from my friends because when my friends held the TV remote and interacted with it, I quickly realized, you know, us techies or tech enthusiasts, they can quickly get the hang of it and get the hang of the remote. But you just, mm -hmm. I can't count how many times you, you're sitting watching something with friends and someone accidentally pauses that, that YouTube video or like how many times my TV turns on by mistake just by someone clicked a button on the, on the Apple TV remote or something. It's kind of funny. Yeah. It's kind of like, who would have ever thought that a remote would be too responsive? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah maybe that's the problem here it's kind of it, it has that sort of fluid interactivity that you've come to expect from an ios device in that it's touchpad based 
it has that multi-touch action going on there. But with something like a remote that gets tossed around a lot, like you said, you're accidentally pausing it or you're hitting controls by mistake. So that's, you know, that's definitely something to consider. Yeah, but Apple's UI and like tvOS generally, like it's built for someone's wide horizon view. It's built for someone to be to view it on the TV and it's really cool. And I think like any kind of AR experience they're going to build in the future, they should definitely use this kind of tactile feeling and and, and this kind of remote interaction in, in AR maybe. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can definitely see how Apple builds toward a vision. Um, mm -hmm. You know, with Apple Glass, AR glasses, virtual reality, some of these things, these products that Apple is supposedly working on, these 3D icons, these three elements would work perfectly into that type of ecosystem. Yeah. The, the one where these icons are actually floating around in your room versus sitting flat on top of a device screen. Yeah. And that entire vision is happening now with like M1 and their transition to, to the Mac, I would say. So also we're witnessing that. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a good question for you, and this is the last question before we move on to the story. Sure. There's a lot of people watching this show right now looking up and saying, I want to be like Ralph one day. I want to do what Ralph does. Where would you direct those people? Where What would be your best advice to get started with user interface design? Any courses you'd like to recommend? Work that you'd like people to reference? Oh, well... When it comes to studying UI design, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of cool online sources going on. Um, like there's a lot of websites that you can do, but my favorites have been the developer website of uh, the Apple design guidelines uh, and the Google material design guidelines. I would say I definitely started from there. If you want to build your own concepts, uh, that's definitely the first building block that you would look at. And there's um, a lot of community um, files you could find Um about like, for example, iOS 14 GUI, if you want to build like your own um, widgets, um, you can find a lot of assets uh, floating out around online and um, probably Figma. Figma uh, community, you could actually find some files there too. Um, but yeah. So within the Figma community. Yeah. And, and it sounds like kind of the most important thing is to kind of uh, put your head down and, and start sketching something out. Start thinking about what you would want something to look like, reference some of the information that's out there. Yeah, I, I would I would recommend downloading Vectonator for that. So, <laughs> of course, of course, I'd recommend downloading Vectonator to anybody. Oh, thanks. But of course, we do have to get to today's news. Yes. And at the top of the week, Apple released iOS and iPadOS fourteen point five beta two. So it's building on this this feature set that was introduced in the first beta. Mm -hmm. um, we have. 217 new emojis, uh, including a spiral eyes, facing the clouds emoji, fiery heart, mending heart, uh, beards for all genders and all skin colors, new skin tones for couples, and we have some two, some two two emojis that have been entirely revamped, and that is the headphone emoji and of course and the vaccine emoji. Vaccine emoji. Yeah, yeah. and so I, I saw you tweeting a little bit about this. And I think this is interesting because Apple is always uh, adjusting their emojis to kind of fit with the time. The The idea here with the, the syringe is the syringe used to have blood mm -hmm. kind of dripping out of it. And, you know, we're in this age where we're kind of trying to motivate people to get the vaccine, <laughs> to get vaccinated. So to 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 make this 
this icon look more accessible, they've removed the blood. It just looks like a syringe, more friendly. I think we needed both. Why why remove the blood emoji and just give us... That's my idea. Like, how you, you show skin color, just let us decide what's inside that syringe. <laughs> yeah, that long press that we do for skin color could be different options for the syringe. That's a good point. Yeah, we also saw uh, a revamped AirPods Max design mm -hmm. um, for the headphone emoji. And that sort of completes this whole continuity factor that Apple's going for, where if you use the emoji for a laptop or a tablet or an iPhone, it actually shows a little miniature glyph for their product, a little icon. Yeah, another another nice shameless plug from Apple. <laughs> if you're going to type, if you're going to put headphones anywhere, it's going to be for headphones. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I want to back up here while we're going through this. Mm -hmm. I like to ask people, what is your take on AirPods Max? Oh, well, I have a couple. I have uh, I have a like a you pair. Have a couple. No, 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 like a, I have like a like one headphone. Okay. <laughs> I said, "Well, you bought multiple colors?" Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the bands are exchangeable after all, didn't you hear? Yeah, but we had a PSA on our podcast a few weeks back not to do that because it voids the warranty, Ralph. Oh no. Okay, that's bad. Oh, I, no. I was I was really <laughs> I was really expecting I could do that with a couple of friends, but so far none of my friends bought the AirPods Max. Me too. Yeah. I wonder why. I wonder why we're the only ones that bought it, Ralph. <laughs> well, it's it's a bit heavy on the side and it's a bit expensive on the wallet, but I think the the visual clarity, like the, the audio is, is incredible. And switching back to like Sony headphones, you could definitely like see the difference now. Yeah, I, I agree. And we, we've talked extensively about AirPods Max on, on the podcast. Why are they worth it to you? Chiefly, in one word, the sound clarity, the sound clarity, and 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 the Just ecosystem. Ecosystem. That's a very good point. So this 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 intuitive ease of use, this interconnectivity between all of your devices, yeah. was was one of the main selling points for you. Yeah, I see it as a device that you're gonna in the future maybe you would um, pick it up in the morning, wear it filter every conversation you have with someone and um, just work through your devices and just set it back at night. I mean, speaking about the small AirPods also all the way to the Big Mac. So I think they're all sharing that vision there. Definitely. Now there's also in iOS 14.5 beta 2, a fix for the green tint madness we've, we've been seeing on the iPhone 12 models. So if you're not familiar with this viewers, Mm -hmm. iPhone 12 models have been exhibiting a gray or green glow, an issue that Apple said it was investigating back in November. Some users are saying there's improvements to this in, in beta 2, that it's mitigated a little bit. Others are saying that it still appears. What are some of your thoughts on this, Ralph? Have you had an experience with this? Have you seen the green tint? I mean, all the displays in lower brightness, I've seen a lot of occurrences where there's like a lot of green tint and a lot of devices. Yeah, um, my 11 um, Pro Max had had some green tint in like dark dark lighting. I notice it when I'm like watching YouTube vids or so on. But um, I think it's a matter of quality check. Well, I remember back in back when I, Apple switched the iPhone over to OLED back in 2017 yeah. with the introduction of the iPhone 10, and people were noting that you know at some off-axis viewing angles you could see an an orange glow, an orange tint. And that was something that the that the Pixel, which had moved to OLED a year before, had struggled with. And Apple took a lot of steps to try to mitigate that. But it sounds like 
you know, when you have these organic displays, these OLED displays, that's always going to be an issue. Yeah, I, I, I think OLED in general is it's something that it, it's like a sacrifice uh, for the technology. Where do you see the trade-offs being made, though? There are, I don't because see. I don't see big trade-offs. I don't think there's big trade-offs with OLED except for like burn-in effects, and it's so cool to see like the last four years of iPhone have all been OLED, but you don't hear a lot about really bad quality um, burn-in effects on iPhone, and that's yeah really nice to hear because um, Android for the last like I mean okay they can brag that they had OLED uh, screens before iPhones for like the last six years. Um, even during the 2010s, all of them were OLED, but the burning effects and the ghosting issues and the tint issues were everywhere. They were plaguing the whole system, yeah. yeah. Also in Beta 2, we see mention of a battery pack, a mystery battery pack. That's all it says in the code. It oh, says really? battery pack. <laughs> and this could be a new smart battery case that'll ship for iPhone 12 models, or it could be that rumored a charging pad that attaches via MagSafe. It would be kind of like a fatter MagSafe wallet that hits the back of the phone and charges it like a little battery pack. Um, it says, quote, to improve charging efficiency and maximize, maximize available battery life, the battery pack will keep your phone charged at around 90%, reads the text. Something interesting might be in the pipeline along the lines of a battery pack. Oh, cool. I mean, I hope it doesn't heat. That's the thing. How many... <laughs> We could see the return of the the insulated hump, the the Johnny I yeah. battery pack that was that was famously mocked. In addition to this, there's also some Reddit users are noting uh, a new haptic feedback uh, when attaching the MagSafe wallet. I have a MagSafe wallet here with me, and I'm holding it and sort of playing with it as we speak. Uh, it's interesting. So the 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 haptic feedback, the little vibration that you get when you stick the wallet on feels largely the same to me maybe a, a little bit more subtle not as much as a, of a of a thunk going on but when i detach it it does uh that little tick vibration that one that it does when face id fails yeah you know what i'm talking about yeah where yeah. the, the mm -hmm. lock will kind of swivel a little bit and it says face not red yeah. So mm -hmm. this this is interesting because when it's in your pocket if it detaches your phone will actually vibrate letting you know that your wallet has been detached, which is yeah. happening a lot since the wallet doesn't have like a strong enough magnet. That and that's what part of the some of the rumors that we're going to talk about in a moment for iPhone 13. They're saying that the magnets might be twice as strong. I don't know what that means for users that have pacemakers. We're already seeing issues with that. <laughs> Interesting. MagSafe two should should be uh, up to twice as strong. They're saying, and we're going to get to those leaks in a moment. But we're still sort of browsing and unpacking everything that's new in 14.5. Um, they also just implemented a way where if you boot your iPad from in landscape mode, uh, it would actually have a landscape Apple logo. And that that's interesting. That came in beta one. Mm -hmm. And with this week, some Reddit users are reporting that you don't even need to have a folio or smart keyboard attached mm -hmm. to see that screen. If you're holding the iPad in landscape and you boot up the display, It'll show up based on whatever interpretation you're holding it. No accessory required. Yeah. So that was one of the changes we saw from beta one to beta two. So nice, you know, refinements, user interface touches. Um, there's additions to shortcuts as well. So if you're you're messing with Siri shortcuts, there's new actions to gather your latest screenshot or take a screenshot. Um, there's new gestures for music, so you could swipe left or right uh, for different actions. 
on on songs. And what what I like about this is it kind of allows you to play virtual DJ. Oh, you can swipe to the right and add things up next and kind of build an on the go playlist that's that's reminiscent of like the early iPods. Yeah. Oh, an on the go playlist. Cool. Oh my god. Yes. Yeah. Remember those? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, this feature was already in uh, Spotify, so you can do like um, that same swipe mm -hmm. in Spotify app, but I think they added a little bit more into it. So you can play next or actually add to the queue. I think uh, Spotify ha only has like one swipe, but yeah, it's long overdue. So Apple's kind of playing copycat with this one, huh? Um, that very swipe, for sure, for sure, I would say so. Yeah, it's it's been on Spotify for at least two, three years, so... That's interesting. Another feature we're seeing is a share lyrics feature. So if you're you're sort of watching the lyrics on screen, iOS has this feature. Mm -hmm. If you're listening to a song, you press the the little quote icon and you can view the lyrics as they roll in. Kind of do your own sort of karaoke. Um, in yeah, the would newest, you use that? I do. I use it all the time. I love belting oh, all these yeah. songs out in my car and. <laughs> <laughs> It's it, it's something I use a lot. I don't know if I'm in the minority there. All right, but what about sharing it to your friends? Sharing it to your friends. That's what's new in beta too. So you can actually tap on uh, a lyric, a little line, and it'll come up with the full share sheet. You can share to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, iMessage. So you can share uh, lines of lyrics um, on social media. Cool. Yeah, which is a nice touch. Uh, sort of sharing your music, putting it out there. And there's some adjustments to tri privacy labels. Uh, they work better in dark mode. And there's some small code, code changes, some tweaks. There's further reference to AirTags in the Find My app. And it clarifies, it says, quote, these are items that aren't yours but have been seen with you for a continuous amount of time. And then somewhere down the line it notes specifically AirTags. So this could be a feature where you know, maybe you've picked up someone someone else's AirTag or AirTag enabled object that you that that you may know you, you may not know you have it on hand and it's kind of notifying you, hey, you took someone yeah. else's thing, you should probably return it. I don't know how how this how is this gonna be implemented, Ralph, you think? Oh, I'm not sure. I mean, I think it would be pretty crucial for like a lost AirTag to be identified by someone on the street or like a stranger. So I think that's definitely happening. And since iPhones are everywhere and since it's already like, um, I think it could have the same social impact like what AirPods did. You know how AirPods, everyone is wearing it right now. You, yeah. you could like walk up. Like there was one month in 2017, they just introduced um, AirPods in 2020. Like everyone was walk talking about like, what the hell, they look so weird. One year later, you just look outside and just like everyone is wearing it. I, I remember being teased. Uh, you know, everybody said it looked like I had uh, toothbrush heads sticking out of my ears, you know, for the electric <laughs> toothbrush. People were making fun I remember of it. all those memes. Yeah, yeah, all the memes and the, 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 the floss case and things like that for the, the, the teeth flossing, sort of making fun of the case. All these things. And me and you were kind of in the minority, the early adopters, the, the fanboys, so to speak. And yeah. we're, we're just kind of sitting back and going, you have no idea how convenient this is. Even if it was the ugliest <laughs> thing on earth, which personally I don't think it is, I would still wear it just out of convenience. And didn't they improve so much since since their la their launch? Like there's there have been so many software updates uh, to to their software, so they they really improved a lot in connectivity and like automatic switching, and, and there's so yes. many so many things. It things like spatial audio, 
that's a that's yeah. a huge update that entirely changes the way that you hear movies and songs it's 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 like surround sound in in your ear in the in the in these little buds you feel like yeah. you're in a virtual sound stage it's it's remarkable and it's remarkable that that's a free firmware update yeah and to me it's auto switching and how cool it, how cool yeah. it is to switch between your devices even your apple tv it's it's just so simple well, moving forward, Apple will soon be able to repair iPhone 12's rear glass without replacing the entire device. So let's break it down. Technicians usually perform analysis to determine if a device can be repaired or if it needs to be replaced entirely. This is how it's been. This is how it works. Apple will soon be able to repair things like face ID sensors, the logic board, or a cracked rear glass, etc. on iPhone 12 models without replacing the whole device. So this news was corroborated by an internal memo sent to Genius Bar and Apple authorized service providers obtained by Mac Rumors. Now it says technicians will have access to a new method that allows them to repair more parts of the iPhone 12 and 12 mini. Currently, if you needed these repairs for your phone, you would be given the option of replacing your device. The cameras will be the only component that will require a replacement device and will not be eligible for same unit repair. So if you crack the back and you also crack the camera lens, it's a no-go for this repair. You need a whole new phone. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, it says this could lead to reduced repair times. You don't have to wait sometimes days for a replacement unit. And, uh, of course, it, it reduces the carbon footprint a little bit. Um, have you ever had to have an iPhone replaced? Do you do you do Apple Care or anything like that, Ralph? Um, I've had my iPad replaced once, and uh, definitely my my AirPods once had some issues. But no, the iPhone, I would say, um, not not from my end, but I've heard that replacing the back is quite expensive. Yeah, so I'll speak from personal experience. I've shattered an iPhone or two, mm -hmm. literally two in my lifetime, okay. which I think is a good number. That's a healthy number, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two is, two is fine. <laughs> it's a help, healthy number of iPhones to crack, given that they're all <laughs> made of glass most of the time. And one of those two times that I had it done, they gave me an entirely new phone. And oh. I was one of those nerds where, that didn't back up to iCloud. I, did, I wanted to do hard restore on my MacBook, you know, stick to my roots, kind of old-timey iPhone way of doing things. And that was a nightmare because I only got back all that information that was on iCloud when I got the replacement phone. I only got my contacts back and a few of my photos. Other than that, I lost everything. So to hear wow. that this is available um, for people that may, may not be paying that premium for increased iPhone storage, um, that's that I think is a nice option alone um, because you have you have this ability to store your backups uh, on iCloud, but they still limit that free plan at five gigabytes. Nobody's going to be able to yeah. back up their whole iPhone in five gigabytes. And so a lot of people are, if they do back up, if they do take that precaution, they're still doing it on their computer. And it's going to be a good, it's good for this because if you damage the back, they don't have to replace the whole thing. They can just replace face ID, the logic board. You don't have to worry about your information. Yeah. That whole entire process, I think it's a little bit too complicated to the user. Like, even when it comes to iCloud and iCloud backups, I don't think most people um, really know how to really take care of their backups and their, their data. 
And when they're switching phones, they really end up losing photos. They lose data all the time. And uh, you get a lot of technicians all around the world panicking uh, to do stuff. So yeah, yeah, I definitely think that they, they definitely need to do something there uh, to make it a bit easier. Yeah, five gigabytes plan. Like, I don't think uh, Google did upgrade their plan at some point from from five to like 15 gigabytes uh, free for, for all. I wonder when Apple would. Do something well, like that. The, the important thing with Google is they upgrade the plans to bait everybody in. To, oh, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and then they start compressing the photos. So you, you never you never get the true quality of those photos ever again. Yeah, they, they didn't they even cancel this entire free backup thing for Google Photos now? Exactly. They even, got everybody yeah. joined on and then they canceled it and made it a paid version, <laughs> you know, with like and two now weeks it's like, notice. Yeah, we own your photos. We own your photos. Now pay us. Yeah. And, and, and Apple's kind of on its way to doing the same thing with a portless iPhone, if you think about it. And that that's part of some mm-hmm. of the rumors we're going to discuss today. A portless iPhone might be in the pipeline. And, wow. you, you know, you start thinking about some of that user control, that optimization that you might lose by going portless. Keep in mind, MagSafe is is has no data transfer other than that NFC, that those NFC tags that touch to tell yeah. it, hey, this is a wallet or a charger. It doesn't know anything. There's no data transfer for MagSafe, so it gets kind of scary. I wish they have. I wish they keep data transfer in some in some way or form in like an updated MagSafe model. Because like, look at MagSafe from for for the MacBook. You know, it was so simple. It had some a couple of pins, and it was not a port. It was still a kind of a flat port. So if they were able to keep something uh, as if for data transfer, it would be really helpful. But I don't know. I think I think they're doing something very portless uh, to save some space. I think they're they're doing something portless to to even take the internals of the iPhones a bit further, like a step further than now. For sure, yeah. It, and you know, getting started on the topic of iPhone 13 slash 12s rumors, uh, we're hearing Apple was granted a patent for iPhone screens with multiple refresh rates up to 240 hertz. So could this mean that the iPhone might get screens with refresh rates up to 240 hertz, twice as much as the iPad's ProMotion display? So iPhone screens have remained stagnant at 60 hertz, and iPad Pro models have variable refresh up to 120. So it can downclock 120 hertz and lower. Now let's unwrap that. Let's break down what that means. So refresh rate is basically how many times the display is is redrawn on your iPhone screen. Uh, so every second is one hertz. That's one refresh. One hertz equals one refresh. Now, this ProMotion technology is Apple's marketing term for refresh rates up to 120 hertz on its iPads. Now, what are some of the benefits of higher refresh rates? Well, they deliver smoother content, better UI experience, smoother scrolling, more precise gameplay, lower latency on that front. Um, an iPhone with ProMotion would automatically pick the best refresh rate for what you're doing. Are you reading or scrolling? Lower yeah. refresh rate. Playing a game or watching a video? Maybe a high frame rate. Now, this is where you, it starts getting interesting because now you can watch Hollywood movies as they were intended, which which usually are below 60 hertz. Um, you have things like that. You have things that right when you pick up your finger to scroll the the screen cranks up so you feel the power and speed of that scroll that smoothness yeah the, the, i think that a lot of people scroll a lot of times you know scrolling is is the main thing you do on your phone you just keep constantly looking at information i think making it more 
eye-friendly and smooth. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's been said, it's been noted by, by some pretty notable members of the tech community that yeah. an iPhone on 60 hertz subjectively feels faster than an Android on 120 hertz. People are on record saying that. And that's because this is this is perceived speed. It's not so much processing power. It's just the refresh rate in terms of how the screen is responding to your touch. Well, well, there are two things. I mean, think first. I think the the touch uh, layer on the iPhone has a higher sample rate, so it yeah. has it's already running at a at a high refresh rate uh, to pick up your like the touch input. Mm-hmm. And on the on the second hand, I think their framework and like their their UI. Uh, their UI, their their whole user experience is very smooth. Uh, just compare that to Android. I mean, yeah, it's it's very true. I would, I look at my sixty hertz iPhone. And I don't feel the, the the need for one hundred twenty hertz. And um, yeah, I definitely put those two next to each other. You can only find a difference when when they're like apart. I would say. You know, back in twenty seventeen, when Apple uh, transferred the touch refresh rate all the way up to 120 hertz. I remember I wrote a blog post on this, sort of clearing this up and telling people, hey, here, here's the gist of it. The iPhone does not have ProMotion, but the touch refresh rate is double that of the screen refresh rate. And I sort of explained this in a blog post so people could understand it. And interestingly enough, this came in 2017 when Apple switched to the entirely gesture-based non-home yeah. button iPhone X. So it was it was really a, a timely implementation of that really? higher touch refresh rate. Yeah, I think the higher touch refresh rate has been quite before that. Or am I wrong? I'm not sure. Uh, the way that I had it posted, the way that I I gathered all this information, I did a bunch of research on it back in 2017. Is is, is when that happened for the iPhones? Yeah, iPads gained uh, promotion much earlier that year uh, during WWDC with the second gen pro models. And that's sort of how that rolled out. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a ProMotion devi- device and they do it really nice. And I think like those iPad mini LED models uh, should be like quite exciting too. So let's break this down a little bit more. So higher refresh rates at the end of the day mm-hmm. consume more power, kind of like how 5G modems consume more power. Yeah, that's the sacrifice here. Yeah, mm-hmm. Apple drug their feet on bringing 5G to the iPhone because they wanted to do it dynamically. They wanted to do it right. They wanted the iPhone to dynamically switch between LTE and 5G when it's useful. And this saves a lot of power. So the idea I see with this is Apple's trying to optimize this um, to, to work for mainstream, to work in a way that it's convenient for the user, but they don't have to worry about switching it on and off in the settings like an Android user would have to do. And sacrificing battery life. Yeah, the way they handle refresh rate also on the iPad, and I think the Apple Watch uh, recently with their uh, always on approach with the yeah, one with hertz, the Series Five. Um, yeah, with the Series Five, it is very very cool, and and it seems to work. So yeah, and and that's a good thing that you bring up, Ralph, because uh, back in uh, 2019 with the release of Apple Watch Series Five we saw a dynamic refresh rate on the Apple Watch, and that's what enables its always-on display. Now, yes. the the Apple Watch made a transition from OLED to an LTPO display. That's a low-temperature polyoxide display. 
and and that type of screen uh, enables this this higher this not higher but dynamic refresh rate. I think LTPO is is still OLED. I think it's still a part yeah, of the it's, OLED. Yeah, it's a different implementation of OLED. But the key yeah. takeaway here is what we're seeing with supply chains is it's it's hard to to yield these displays at at such high resolutions. You start running into issues that Apple ran into back when they transitioned to Retina displays, where you have to elevate the pixels onto a higher plane because if you just jam more pixels into the same area, images get fuzzy and you know you're not seeing a cohesive image. And so Apple, I think, is really waiting. How do we implement this technology for the mainstream so that we can hold yeah. it to the standards that we've held our displays to? They how color accurate they're supposed to be, how clear and crisp they're supposed to be. And I think we're 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 sort of seeing Apple take their time on this. Now we heard reports last year uh, about the iPhone 12. They said that we heard rumors all last year that iPhone 12 was supposed to get 120 hertz. It didn't. It yeah. shipped in the fall and it didn't. One of the things that I've heard, particularly through the rumor mill, was that Samsung was developing these displays. Not developing, but producing. Apple creates the displays for the iPhone, and then they go to Samsung and say, hey, make it for us. Yeah, yeah. My inference here is Samsung dramatically reduced the yield rates when it told Apple how much they would be willing to produce and in what length of time. And Apple looked at that and said, hey, we sell many more iPhones than that. This just isn't possible. We can't ship it this year. We need higher yield rates. Well, I, I'm not really sure about that. I'm not sure about like the internal talk with Samsung, but I can say that the problem with high refresh rate, of course, is battery life. And mm -hmm. um, I, I can ask you, like, could you imagine iPhone 12 to launch like that with high refresh rate right now with the same battery sizes that are inside right now? There's like no way. The That's regular why you iPhone. need LTPO. Yeah. yeah. The regular iPhone Pro lost a couple of hours from last year, you know, in, in, in battery life performance. And can you imagine adding a high refresh rate on top of that? You would, you would get a whole lot of, like, a big fiasco for Apple, I would say. And battery life is one of the most important selling points. It's in the top three uh, considerations that consumers make when they buy their phone. The number one is the camera. Yeah. Their 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 interface was smooth enough. I don't I don't see like um, yeah. I I I definitely respect their decision on that. I definitely think there 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 were a lot of reports that they they're testing it. They're testing they're testing uh, high refresh rate, but they never like made a decision on it. That's why leaks are not always right. So, <laughs> yeah. but it's fun to 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 kind of stay up to date and see you know what technologies oh, yeah. are being worked on. What's what's being developed. Yeah, for sure. Now, I want to zero in a little bit on the iPhone 13. Some are saying that it's it's going to be called the iPhone 12S. Some of the rumors that we're hearing for this are an always-on display. This comes from Max Weinbach. He's saying it'll have an always-on display uh -huh. where notifications will, will roll in dynamically. They'll fade in and out. Um, and then you might have some Apple Watch-like complications for time and activity that are always-on. Uh, much like the Apple Watch, uh, we might see a refined matte back that's a little more grippy than what we see now yeah. uh, with that sort of micro texture on the back. So little tweaks, little enhancements. It, it, this feature set is starting to look uh, a lot like a S year. 
Um, we're hearing that the telephoto and the wide angle lens will see minimal to none improvements. Um, and er everything's going towards the wide angle lens this year. We're going to see an enhanced aperture to let more light in and a six element lens instead of five element lens for sharper photos, better visual clarity. Um, are you on any kind of upgrade cycle? Do you upgrade every two years, three years? Well, what, what's it like for you? What's your relationship with the iPhone? So with, with the iPhone, I definitely, um, yeah, I've been, I've been an iPhone user since I remember. So, uh, I, I, my upgrade cycle definitely is two years, I would say. Okay. Uh, I'm always very excited to test a new one. Um, sometimes I skip the two year cycle and just jump on, on a one year cycle sometimes, but, um, yeah, I think iPhones are great. So you held off on the 12 this year. Um, are you are you hanging on for a 12s? Or is this it? Was this the changes that you were waiting for? So definitely, yes. Upgrades are more um, exciting. I want to say, yeah, because you know the footprint is staying there, but what what Apple is doing on the inside is is what's going to change. I think like um, if if the rumors are true, if always on, if high refresh rate. Uh, are all topics that means we definitely need the more efficient chipset and probably bigger battery for 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 that uh, new iPhone. So definitely, I don't see the battery life and like basically getting worse than the iPhone 12. So hopefully these features don't really sacrifice much. But those are some of the features that would be a huge selling point for you that 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 you're kind of holding out for, so to speak. Yeah, but remember, I mean, battery comes at number three. So yeah. Now, Apple is saying COVID health passes are limited to developers working with public health authorities. So Apple's kind of saying, you know, we have guidelines for this, but other than that, we're kind of throwing our hands up in the air. We, we're not going to be directly involved. It's just a privacy guideline that we've set in place. So so let's break this down. So you remember the movie Contagion, Ralph? I'm not sure. It kind of models a pandemic. It has... Uh, Matt oh. Damon, Gwyneth Paltrow in there. Cool. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like that. And towards the end of the movie, okay, they're in a pandemic. Everybody's getting vaccinated and things like that. And everybody's given a wristband. And they scan that wristband. And, and then, then they're able to enter a supermarket or what have you. Oh, okay. Um, so we we could be seeing something similar to that movie in real life, but in the Apple wallet a.k.a. a health pass. That's just what everybody's dubbing it right now. Um, it says a health pass app is classified as an app that generates a pass for Apple Wallet that is used to enter buildings and access in-person services based on testing and vaccination records. And it looks like this is a huge privacy concern, as it should be for Apple. Yeah. They, they said, quote, with the recent release of COVID-19 vaccines, We've seen an increase in apps that generate health passes used to enter buildings and access in-person services based on testing and vaccination records. To ensure these apps responsibly handle sensitive data and provide reliable functionality, they must be submitted by developers working with entities recognized by public health authorities, such as test kit manufacturers, laboratories, or healthcare providers. As with other apps related to COVID-19, we also accept apps submitted directly by government, medical, and other credentialed institutions, end quote. So it kind of seems like Apple, you know, they're taking this seriously. Um, they don't want your health data, which is very sensitive, floating all over the place to just these random indie developer apps. Uh, they want it to be 
you know, credentialed institutions coming from your medical healthcare provider uh, and, and what have you. When do you plan on getting the vaccine, Ralph? <laughs> oh, well, anytime soon. Uh, here in Germany, the situation is uh, getting better slowly. And I think vaccination mm -hmm. started. Um, they reported that they're going to provide a vaccination uh, opportunity to every German almost um, by end of September. So hopefully I'll get a chance to do that over the summer. So, yeah. Yeah. Over here in the United States, we're hearing from President Biden that that anybody who wants one will be able to get one uh, around mid to late March. Sorry, not March, July. Sorry, this summer. Um, yeah. So it, it's kind of something to think about is how are we going to verify who's been vaccinated and who hasn't? Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, we could be living in a world similar to what we saw in this movie, Contagion, where, you know, you have to scan your Apple Watch to say, hey, yes, you're allowed to come to this movie theater and watch a movie. Things like that are, are things that we're thinking about now. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, but it's kind of discriminatory uh, against people who just maybe just didn't get exposed to the vaccine. So how am exactly, I going to open yeah. a cinema and, uh, and tell people only if you're vaccinated, you get a chance to go in or not? But like, um, I think, it, yeah, Apple is definitely limiting it to, to, to officials and to communicate through with the officials on, on, on that kind of is makes a lot of sense, I guess. Well, good news, Ralph. We've reached the very end of the episode, and that means it's time for This Week in Apple Crime. Ooh. So there's a class action lawsuit against Apple. The suit filed in D.C.'s district court claims that Apple is hosting and profiting from casino-style apps on the App Store. Named specifically titles developed by Zynga, which puts Facebook front and center right next to Apple, and yet another lawsuit. Oh, God. Yeah, you might recall Zynga was behind Farmville, which early on made in-app purchases and microtransactions popular before the App Store, right? I do recall Zynga. Yeah, yeah like a huge uh, Facebook... Fa oh, half of the Facebook games were Zynga, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And Zynga was later bought by Facebook entirely. It says, in this current lawsuit, plaintiffs name, quote, Zynga Casino Apps end quote, as violating gambling state statutes, and that Apple is guilty by, one, providing iOS dev tools, two, hosting titles on the App Store, and three, profiting from their sale, claiming, quote, Apple permits and facilitates illegal gambling by operating an unlicensed casino, end quote, because it allows users to, quote, buy coins or chips to play Vegas-like games, end quote. So this is kind of like blackjack, poker, virtual bingo, etc. But it also allows um, brokers apps and stock exchange apps. So and and that's that's an important takeaway. So let's unwrap this and and break down how this works. So if you're not familiar, mm -hmm. uh, games usually give the player games of this nature give the player a, a token amount of chips or coins to play with. Yeah. And eventually these run out and the user is prompted to purchase real money, additional coins to continue playing. They, have, they pay real money for fake money. This system of paying more money for playtime allegedly violates anti-gambling laws in 25 states. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is kind of crazy. It says, even though a player can't actually win any real money in return for buying virtual coins, the pay-to-play for a chance to play for longer 
is a gambling violation. So I look at this, it sounds to me like someone didn't get their triple value super bonus coins and they're a little bit bitter. And now we got a whole <laughs> suit around this. Are, are, do you play any of these yeah, games? Are you, so. are you caught up in this? I know it's a huge phenomenon. Yeah, not for me. <laughs> not, not for me, for sure. No. Yeah, not on my radar either. It was interesting uh, looking at this and re- really assessing this violates gambling laws in 25 states, Ralph. That's crazy. Yeah, well, I guess too bad for these states. I guess um, these states will have to work something out with Apple. Well, and you have to wonder uh, what percentage of these games are generating over a million dollars in revenue. If it's under a million dollars, then Apple's only taking 15% and not that 30. Well, that, that is true. Yeah, it's it's kind of the new the new um, system. Yeah. So earlier this year, and we talked about this on the last mm-hmm. podcast, Apple introduced the small slash indie developer program, which says, hey, we're going to take 15% of your revenue instead of a 30% yeah. cut for all these microtransactions if you're a company that makes less than a million dollars per year. You have to wonder... Zynga is a huge, massive company that's probably making more than a million dollars a year on all these microtransactions. And Apple's taking a huge chunk, 30% of that revenue. It's interesting to see how Apple navigates this suit moving forward. Well, it's interesting if if like these payments are done through um, basically in-app purchases through through App Store. And that could be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how this pans out. It says, importantly, according to plaintiffs, users are unable to collect actual cash in the casino games. And that's where I thought that this this ended because you think, okay, I'm paying real money for fake money, but I'm not getting any real money back. So you would think, okay, that's not gambling. Yeah, that's an in-app purchase. This is Candy Crush. (laughs) Candy Crush on steroids. Yeah, I guess so. Well, that's it for this week in Apple Crime. And we've reached the end of the show. Thanks for unwrapping the tech of today with me and Mr. Ralph Theodori. Ralph, do you want to leave users, sorry, viewers, not users, users of this podcast. It's like a drug. Our podcast is like a drug. (laughs) Users of this podcast. Do you want to leave them with anything? Do you want to um, link your social media? Tell us, tell the people where we can find you. Well, R. R. Theodori on Instagram and uh, Ralph Theodori on Twitter, I guess. (laughs) Um, Awesome. But yeah. I really enjoyed this podcast. Thank you a lot for inviting me. Yeah, dude. We really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, great. <laughs> and again, you can follow me on Instagram at the official Brahmi. That's the official, all one word, and then Brahmi, B-R-A-H-M-Y. On Twitter, you can find me at simply just my name, Bramshank. That's B-R-A-H-M, Shank, S-H-A-N-K, Bramshank, all one word. You can find me there. I'll be posting about this episode and more. Ralph, yes. thanks for coming on. And follow Vectornator. Yes, if, follow if Vectornator. Just on the last note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks for unwrapping the tech up today with us, and we'll see you guys next week.